We've reached Ephesians 6. Uh, we took a break as we looked at biblical manhood and womanhood, essentially did a flyover of that, uh, launching out of Ephesians 5 passage. And really, this is going to continue with the relationships that uh, Paul began talking about much earlier. But what I love about our text tonight, even before we read it, is that it shows that children were with their parents in the meeting of the church. I mean, these letters that the apostles wrote would be read to the church family, and in that church family, there were children. The apostle, the apostle Paul, think about it, the apostle Paul speaks directly to you children that are here tonight. He spoke directly to the children that were in the church at Ephesus, not just to the parents. And that's exactly the way Jesus would want it, because Jesus told his disciples, and they thought that Jesus didn't have enough time to, to bother with children. You know, they were just, you know, they just needed to be quiet and, and stay away and let, let Jesus teach people. Jesus said, allow the little children to come to me. And he used a word for infants. Allow the little children to come to me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. So we know from a number of passages that Jesus values children. Jesus, look, if, if you consider yourself a child this evening, I mean, like, you're still living in the home with your parents, maybe you're four and five and six and seven and eight years old, Jesus values you. And people who are following Jesus value you. You need to know that the church family here loves you and values you and considers you important to the life of the church and to the cause of the gospel. Now, we all, you know, we all grew up singing, you know, Jesus loves the little children, right? All the children of the world. Okay, well, that wasn't the way the Roman Empire operated. They did not value children. This valuing children was a radical change from the culture of the Roman Empire where unwanted babies were abandoned and destroyed. So we are grateful for the children who are with us this evening. And I want to encourage you parents, have your children here, to make sure that this evening or this week you talk with your children about what we talk about this evening. In fact, that would be a good thing to do all the time. Um, sometimes we're under the false notion that the things from the Bible, well, this is just not really age-appropriate or whatever. Well, it probably has more to do with what you do with it as a parent. And so it's surprising to me that, that often children pick up more than the grown-ups do. You don't remember everything from the sermon. In fact, I don't remember everything from the sermon. We do a sermon review on Thursday, okay? We have life group. We also have a sermon review on Thursday in the staff pastor's meeting, and they say, okay, uh, let's do, you know, let's do, uh, what do we call it? We don't call it postmortem. What, I forget what we call it even right now. Uh, you know, we're going to talk about, you know, what happened in, on Sunday, and I'm scratching my head because I'm already thinking about the next sermon. I said, I can't even remember you know, I, I pull out my notes. I cheat in life group. I pull out my notes. Um, so our children pick up way more. They don't have to pick up everything. Look, when I listen to somebody preach, 
uh, or teach, if I can go away with one or two things, I feel like I'm doing really well. I've got, you know, something I can, can stick in my pocket, something I can put in my brain, and I can think about it and chew on it through the week. And so uh, encourage your children. They don't have to know everything, understand everything. Uh, ask them what they did pick up. Encourage them to, to listen for something they do understand and to jot it down or to, write, or, or to draw a picture of it, um, that kind of thing. And uh, you'll have some really good conversations that will help build them in the faith. So, let's look at what Paul writes to children and parents in our passage this evening, Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, very simple tonight, verses 1 through 3, God's directives to children. Think about it. God talked directly to children, okay? And secondly, God's directives to parents in verse 4. So, let's look at God's directives to children first off. And so, we've already talked about the fact that children… Uh, are in the congregation, and Jesus values that, the apostles value that, the church values that, we value that. We're glad the children are here. What are children to do? Well, the first word, and you've probably heard this word quite a bit in your home, Uh, I think most parents use the word obey. Uh, Even if they don't know Jesus, they'll use the word obey because it's hard to function if, if children aren't obeying. This, this word's an interesting word. It's a very common word, but it literally means this. It means to hear under. In other words, what you're doing, it's not that you're, you're being forced. Obey me, or you will be on two-week suspension. Obey me, and you get, or you get five swats. Obey me, or you have to go to bed early. It's not that you're being forced to obey. It's that you hear, you hear the voice of your parent, your mom and your dad, and you put yourself under that. All they have to do is say the word. You know, if you love people and you care about people, what you really need from them is to know what they're thinking and know what they desire, and it's your joy actually to do what they ask you to do. So, obey means to hear under. You don't have to be forced. You just respond to the voice of your mom and dad and submit to it. Now, notice this important phrase here, though. Obey your parents. We know what parents are. We don't need to define that. In the Greek, it means parents, okay? Um, (laughs) Obey your parents in the Lord, in the Lord. And when Paul says that, He's, he's teaching us that this is about way more than just your relationship with your mom and dad. This is about your relationship with God, okay? So, if you belong to God, if you're trusting in Jesus, you've been born again, and you're a child not just in your family, you're a child of the family of God, you're a child of God, then, then this is for you, and obey your parents in the Lord. That in the Lord links this command to obey your parents all the way back into the middle of chapter 5, where Paul talks about, instead of being drunk with wine, be filled 
with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. And then he starts talking about the ways that that shows up and singing to the Lord and giving thanks to the Lord and then finally in submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And remember, that was his launch point, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he goes, wives to husbands. And then he talks about husbands loving your wives and spent the rest of the chapter on that. Now he continues that theme in other words, among those that, that are controlled by the Spirit of God, who find an ability then and a willingness to put themselves under other people, children who have the Spirit of God because they're born again and believing in Jesus, are glad, they're glad to obey their parents in the Lord. It's because of their relationship with Jesus that they obey their parents. It's not that, oh, let's see, my parent ranks like a, in the 85th percentile or better, at least on most days. And so because they qualify, I will now obey my parents. No, I obey my parents because of being in the Lord. In other words, I'm doing it for Jesus. I'm not doing it because parents... Any parent is perfect. A child who has reverent awe for the Lord desires to do His will. And here, God has made very clear, here is my will for you. You know, people growing up, they'll say, boy, I just wish I knew God's will for me. What does God want me to do? What vocation should I go into? How, you know, whom should I marry when I grow up? What, where should I live? What... Let's just start where you are. What is God's will for you? If you're a child in your home, here's God's will for you. Obey your parents. It's that simple. I mean, that's what's beautiful about it. I don't have to, like, figure out some kind of hard math equation or, or, or write some English theme or, or memorize a bunch of history facts. It's just obey your parents. Straight up. That They have the job of rearing you and caring for you. That's their job. They're grown-ups, and you, you just need to obey them. And you'll notice that the text says, Paul gives a reason, okay, for, okay, here's the reason. This is right. This is right. This is righteous. This conforms to God's perfect standard of right and wrong. This reflects that you understand that God is king of the universe, and he has designed the universe to work a certain way, and you're going to line yourself up with that. So, you see, you might get away with disobeying your parents. You might get away with hiding things from them and doing things you know that they wouldn't approve of. You might get away with it in terms of your home life, but because we're talking about what God establishes, this is right. Because we're talking about the king of the universe, guess what? God knows all about it. And God himself will hold you accountable. You can be five years old or six-year-olds or seven-year-olds or 17. God holds you accountable for doing right before him. You're doing this in the Lord, okay? You belong to the Lord. You want to do the right thing. Now, this, this goes all the way back to Genesis 1 with God's created order, 
when he told parents, he told Adam and Eve, the original parents, he said, I want you to fill the earth and subdue it. And he blessed them. And, and they were to manage the earth well. Part of that was their having children that they would train to live for God and to manage the earth well. This is what parents do. This is fulfilling, you know, even before there was sin in the earth, this is what, what God gave parents to do. You're supposed to have kids. You're supposed to train them. Um, and, and they're going to live out this creation mandate and hopefully enjoy the blessing. So this goes all the way back to the blessing of uh, Genesis 1. Well, this raises a question, because some of you maybe, perhaps if you're a little older, you're 13, 14, 15, you're starting to think, well, wait a minute. You know, parents sometimes sin. Sometimes parents don't do the right thing. In fact, sometimes parents, I've known about parents that aren't good people at all, and they teach their kids to do bad things. I mean, really bad things. We have some people in our church whose parents are really bad people and taught them to do really bad things, like one that, I mean, dedicated him to Satan when he was little and, and taught him that way. Well, he so, said, well, wait a minute. Is he supposed to just obey them? Well, obedience and actually in absolutely everything, that should be the norm that's the normal way we behave. In other words, I should want to be glad to obey those that are in authority over me. You know, even if you're a parent, you have people that are authority over you. The, the, the exception to obeying those that are in authority would apply to parents as well. Unless you're commanded to do what God forbids, you're commanded to do what God forbids or you're forbidden to do what God commands. Now, sometimes your parents will say, wait, it's not time for that yet. That's different. But I'm saying where it comes down to, do I follow Jesus or do I follow my family? And in some cultures especially, this becomes a big thing. If I've been raised, uh, for instance, in Islam or Hinduism, and I'm supposed to worship idols, and I'm, I'm not supposed to trust in Jesus, and that obviously I've, I have to obey God rather than man, and there, there could be hard things that happen to me because of that. But if you think about it, there are very few times, particularly in our culture here, there'd be very, very few times where your mom or dad ever ask you to do what God forbids or forbid you to do what God commands. So that would be... a like a wild exception to what you normally deal with. What is the main reason that, as a kid, I choose to disobey my mom or dad? Oh, mom and dad, it's because I love Jesus so much that I'm disobeying you. No, not usually. It's usually because I don't feel like doing it. I don't want to do it. I, I, I want to I go play instead. I want to do whatever. I want to stay up all night. I want to eat all the ice cream. I want to do things that you know would be bad for me. Okay? No. So, so children, look, your parents are a gift to you to help you find the right path. And it's just, it's just I think it's just an awesome thing to think that as a kid, I can actually serve Jesus. You know, there are sometimes in the Bible where the kids 
We're serving Jesus way better than the grown-ups. I think about Samuel in a time when, when even those that were supposed to be leaders in worship were very wicked men, but Samuel was listening to the voice of God. Okay, so you, you listen to the voice of God. It's that simple. And here's the voice of God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Now, does this command to obey your parents hold sway after you're on your own? I mean, you still got parents when you're 40 and 50 years old, right? Well, that doesn't appear to be the intent of this command. You've started your own family, which involves leaving father and mother. So realize, if you're a kid, you have really a window of time to display your reverence for God by obeying your parents. So see to it that you live righteously. We live in a world that lies to you all the time, a world that says children know best, parents are dumb, and and listen to our voice instead. You want to listen to the voice of God. Now, Obeying your parents is not the only thing, it's not the only thing that the text says. In fact, Paul quotes from the Old Testament, honor your father and your mother. So here we have another big word, honor. That has the idea of treating as valuable. Like you're counting your parents as really valuable. You, you love them, you re- respect them, you have affection for them. Um, you're obeying them, not just, well, I guess I have to. You're obeying them because you hold them in high esteem. You, you honor them. And you'll notice, not just your father, you know, the guy with the big voice that you're afraid might hurt you if you don't do the right thing, but also your mother, who's like super nice. Or vice versa, your mother might be, you know, emotional, and your father, str- it, it doesn't matter, your father and your mother, Okay. You know, if your mom is always having to say, wait till dad gets home, he's the enforcer, right? Then you know you're not obeying this command. It ought to be enough if your mom says it, okay? And mom and dad, you need to be on the same page. I know that can be difficult, and kids are really good at getting you split up and kind of turned against each other. Figure that out on your own, and have a united front, and dads, make sure your kids know that when what mom says, dad backs. And then moms, make sure that you've had a conversation with dad so that you're both on the same page. Work that out together. So you'll notice, he says, he's, he's noting that he's quoting here, this is the first commandment with a promise. Now, when we see the word commandment, why does he say this is the first, this isn't, this isn't the first commandment ever, right? It is the first commandment with a promise. If we, what, what commandments do you think he's talking about? Think about, we still talk about this, this collection of commandments in the Old Testament. And he's saying as you go through those commandments, there's one, this is the first one that actually has a promise connected to it. Who knows I want some kid to tell me. What, what, what do we call the commandments, the Old Testament commandments that were kind of the, the boiled down definition of right and wrong for people? Anybody remember? Anybody, have we got an answer over here? Okay, yes. 
Yes, the Ten Commandments. Exactly, the Ten Commandments. And does anybody know which commandment honor your father and mother is? You can say it out. Yeah, tell me. Yes, it is the fifth commandment. It is number five. It's number five. Now, here's what's really cool about this. The fifth commandment, you have the first four, one through four, that deal with our relationship to God. No other gods before me, and then on down to keeping the Sabbath day holy. Okay? Then you have the fifth commandment. And then you have six through ten. This is about God. This is about, we'll say man, and by that I mean other people. Okay? So we're to love God, we're to love others, and what ties these together is number five. Because your parents, your parents are standing in the place of God to direct you and to train you to follow after him, and they're also the first people, the first other people, the first neighbor that you ever meet. We're born into a family, and we're living with these grown-up people. Who are they? They feed me. They change my diapers. They do all this stuff. They do, okay, and I start growing it. They, they are my, my first experience of authority, God-given authority, and they're my first experience of being able to show love to other people that are around me. And so the fifth commandment is a really important commandment. It's, it's like the connection point, the linchpin between the first half of the Ten Commandments and the second half, love God and then love my neighbors myself. Now, here is the promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. By the way, these commandments are found in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Okay? And he kind of puts it together a little bit with how he says this, that this promise, this promise is about, remember we talked about, we talked about the vitamins. The vitamins are so that you may live long and so that it may go well. Here, here is the promise for long life. Now, what is this in the land? What would that have to do with? Like, when, when Exodus, when the Ten Commandments were given through Moses, what land would they be talking about? I mean, they're in the wilderness. They've escaped Egypt. Eventually, they're going to get to a land. What is that land called? Yes. Yes, the promised land. Who promised it? Yeah. Yes, God did. The land of Canaan, the promised land. And God says, look, if you will obey this commandment, it'll go well with you in the land. What was he saying? Well, Obedience to godly parents would preserve godliness from one generation to the next. If parents are worshiping God and obeying God, and then they're teaching their kids to do this, then generation after generation, you have this godly line going on. When ungodliness takes over, 
when a generation says, I'm not going to be obedient to God, I'm not going to be obedient to my godly parents, I'm going to follow after idols instead, I'm going to start doing the corrupt things that idolatry uh, breeds among a people, then what eventually happened? Did the Israelites, were they ever removed from the promised land? We might need more than just kids here. Were they ever removed from the promised land? Yes, they were removed from the promised land. Why were they removed? God said, you know, God gave them the land because the people that lived there were so wicked and so corrupt, and God told them, look, if you live like they live, you're going out too. You know, and, and the Jews thought, hey, we're God's special people. He's really favored us. He's shown us grace. We can, we'll do whatever we want to do. And, you know, when in Canaan, do what the Canaanites do. And they started doing the things of the people that were driven out. And eventually God says, okay, time's up. You're going out too. And they went into 70 years of captivity in Babylon. They were removed from the land. And the problem had to do with, with parents, godly parents, passing on to children what God would command, and the children saying, nope, not going to do it. Now, this promise is really important. I want you to think about it. I want you to think about it in terms of how, how we as families can actually change an entire civilization and society. If we are training our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and, and they will obey, and they will follow after Him, over the course of a few generations, you can actually change an entire civilization. And it can go either direction. Okay? But, but one of the best things that we can do for our country, um, voting is a good thing, but rearing godly children is even greater. It, it changes the tide. And we have an advantage when those that are corrupt are saying, kill your children, while those that honor God keep them. It's going to give a, a decided advantage if we're training them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So, this pattern of disobedience to one's parents, not only did it mean that they would be removed from the land, but it, it, meant, it, it means really practically in our lifetime, if you have a pattern of disobedience to your parents, you're establishing a lifestyle that is self-destructive and will therefore be short. If, if you're a kid who likes to disobey your parents and you, you don't repent of that and trust in Jesus, but you keep pushing like that, chances are you're not living long at all. Because your parents are given to you to protect you from, from taking paths and adopting lifestyles that are inherently self-destructive. They love you. They're trying to rear you in a way that would make your life a, a beautiful thing and go well with you. I mean, think about it this way. If you're not willing to submit to parents who love you and live with you and have provided for you, how do you expect to submit to policemen and magistrates and people that don't know you from Adam's house cat and don't care what happens to you. 
when you disobey them, you get ground under. A lot of times you don't even get a second chance. And so your parents are actually teaching you a way of life that will, that will preserve your life in the long run. It reminds us that we answer not just to human beings in authority over us, but ultimately to God who is the judge of all. And this has great impact on our people. John Stott comments, virtually all civilizations have regarded the recognition of parental authority as indispensable to a stable society. He talks about people groups all over the world, even groups that that don't know anything about the Bible. It is a decadent society on the brink of collapse that ignores it. It's what produces perilous times that Paul talks about in 2 Timothy. All right, what about God's directives to parents? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, I want to say that this portrait of godly fathers is in stark contrast to the prevailing practice of the day in which Paul wrote. Let me share a quote with you about Roman fathers. A Roman father had absolute power over his family. He could sell them as slaves. He could make them work in the field, even in chains. He could take the law into his own hands because the law was in his own hands and punish as he liked. He could inflict the death penalty on his child. That was the kind of society. So, so this calling fathers to have this kind of relationship with their children was revolutionary. It was countercultural. We're not talking about upholding some kind of old-style culture. We're talking about upholding godly culture and the way God designed the family to be. Now, the word fathers, you know, the question that came to my mind is, okay, he talked about, you know, honor your father and your mother. Why does he say just fathers here? Well, I think in, in a lot of ways it's the same you know, when he says brothers, He says, brothers do this or brothers do that. When we say fathers, it includes both fathers and mothers, just as the term brothers includes both brothers and sisters in the family of God. There's the leadership responsibility, but this could could well, this addresses both parents, fathers and mothers, uh, in terms of how they're to interact with their children. Godly father and mother pattern their parenting after their heavenly father. He has shown us steadfast love and grace. He equips us. He teaches us so that we flourish. He's laid down his life for us. And God himself gives us an amazing pattern of parenting. So do not provoke your children to anger. Takes a lot of English words. Actually, the do not provoke to anger is all one word. And it's the idea that you are bringing your children along to deep-seated anger. There's a process involved, an ongoing process. Other translations uh, will use words like don't exasperate them or don't goad them into resentment. In other words, this is talking about ongoing interaction with your kids that produces anger inside, that, that makes that well up inside them. Well, what does that kind of thing? Well, unreasonable demands that fail to take into account who they are as children, the limitations that they have, harshness, cruelty, humiliation, 
Overindulgence on the other side of the scale, where you just let them do anything. Neglect, sarcasm, ridicule, um, you know, verbally attacking your kids in a way that berates them is, is not godly. And one of the things that we struggle with as parents is we get frustrated, and it's easy for us to speak in our frustration or anger and to say things and do things we should never say or do. I had a friend years ago, Christian brother, um, who, who served as a doctor uh, in adolescent psychiatry, and he dealt with a lot of severe mental illness cases. I mean, really severe. Uh, not where you're wondering, well, you know, is this you know, just a bad attitude or, it, I mean, severe, like multiple personality disorders and schizophrenia. I mean, really damaged people. And he, he made the comment to me once that, that abu- abusive, ongoing abusive verbal treatment of your kids, like the kinds of things we just talked about, it is one of the main causes of this severe mental illness that it actually has a, a, a greater damaging effect than even some of the one-time criminal-type physical abuse that you hear about. The ongoing destructive attacking of your kids can actually harm them and who they are. And so the Scriptures call us to do something completely different. In fact, to abuse authority is every bit as bad as flouting authority, if not worse, because the damage is more far-reaching. I should have put that as a, a quote to remember, so I'm going to say it again. To abuse authority is every bit as bad as flouting authority, if not worse, because of the damage being so much more far-reaching. You reproduce what you model to train people You have to show them how to live, not just tell them how to live. Think about if you're mentoring someone and you're mentoring your kids, your job is to disciple your kids. Will your kids learn godliness by watching you? Will they learn to control their tongue by listening to you talk? Will they learn to control their emotions or their uh, indulgences or their whatever, will they learn that from you? Will they learn to seek after God by watching you? Will they learn how to pray watching you? Will they learn how to study their Bible watching you? Will they learn how to treat other people watching you? Because our job as parents is to teach our kids, and it's more than just talking about it. It's walking the walk. I have found over the years that fathers that are consistently unreasonable in their demands of their wife and children tend to be unwilling to submit to authority themselves. They are a lot of themselves, and they have little moral ground to stand on when they demand obedience from others. Look, if you're not willing to submit to rightful authority in your life, you have no business telling other people to heed your commands because you're a lawless person yourself. You've got to show what submitting looks like for your children to learn it. And that's what we, that's what we really see in this um, 
activity that the fathers, the mothers, are supposed to engage in. First off, he uses this, this phrase, bring them up. Bring them up. And this is the idea of nurturing them and caring for them and providing for them with tender care. In other words, you're providing safety and security with gentle love. You're providing a safe place for your kids, a place where a greenhouse, if you will, where they can grow up protected and, and learn how to live life. You're bringing them up. You're bringing them up in the discipline, and we get word pediatrics from this. It's that the idea of child discipline, and this would, this would include even physical punishment as you look at the Scriptures, um, that, that we, we've got to have this discipline. Um, Proverbs 13, 24, Proverbs 22, 15 talks about the rod of discipline. And so we are talking about physical pain. It's, it's part of the way our children learn that sin brings judgment so that they're ready for mercy. Okay? So they can understand grace. If they don't understand that sin brings judgment, then what, you know, how do they believe in the wrath of God? How do they believe in the, the, the consequences for what, what they do? So there's discipline, and then the instruction, and we've actually seen this word twice today already. We saw it this morning twice. Instruction is the word admonition. It's admonition. My writing's terrible. That's why I have Emily Barney write this for me every week. She's an elementary school teacher, and she can write the way you can read. So admonition, and this means to put people in mind. It means to warn them. You're, you're warning them about things that aren't right. Now, you'll notice these very important words of the Lord. This is not just about your own ideas. This is the discipline instruction of the Lord. You're discipling them. You're introducing them to Jesus. You're showing them what God is like. This kind of child-rearing requires actively involved, loving, gentle, caring parenting. If you don't discipline at all, that's neglect. That does damage to your kids, and that's common. They're supposed to rear themselves. They're supposed to find their own way. Children know best. And all kinds of, of movies for adults and children are teaching this. Like, you just got to be true to yourself kind of talk. And, and I get it. It's true to some degree. You do need to know who you are. But, but children rearing themselves, why do we need parents at all? Hey. Okay? Children don't know best. It's like sending mere children on a crusade like they did in the medieval times to, to, to fight the terrorists of the day. They thought, well, you know, God loves children, so we'll send children into battle. And it didn't go well at all. And we don't want to send children into battle and all the traps that there are and dangers in life. We don't want to send them on their way. Well, kid, you just figure it out. That's what you're there for. You're supposed to guide them. You're supposed to give them wisdom. You're supposed to share it. This is the pattern we see throughout all of Scriptures. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod and reproof. Reproof means a rebuke or you're confronting. Give wisdom. That's skillful living. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So you're responsible for training your own kids. And 
I think that raises a question for us in our day. Who, who are you allowing to train your kids? Who is discipling your kids? Particularly as they get a little older and they get their cell phones or, uh, or as you sit them in front of a television or if they, as they play their games, do you know... Do you know what they're learning? Do you know who's talking to them? Do you have access to their text threads with their friends? Their friends aren't tasked by God to rear them and to point them the right way. You are. And it may be they say, well, you know, that would violate their privacy if I... No. You just establish it from the get-go. Hey, we're open here. We're transparent here. We're going we're, we're gonna to live before God. And, and if, you've got, if you're hiding something, then probably you've got something to hide. Okay? None of us do well when we in the dark. None of us do well without accountability. And your kids need accountability just like you do. So you're going to be responsible for that. And, and further, you have to show discipline and self-control yourself. I'll end with this quote from Lloyd-Jones, medical doctor turned preacher, one of my favorite preachers. Um, he says, what right have you to say to your child that he needs discipline when you obviously need it yourself? Self-control, the control of temper, is an essential prerequisite it's the control of others. A man who lacks self-control is like a city broken down and without walls. And so, parents, this is a, this is a tough assignment, as you well know. Um, parenting is humbling. You thought you had the answers, and then you ended up with questions you'd never seen before. And you start working through this, but that doesn't change the fact that God has called you to this in the Lord and in the Spirit, with the Spirit's power, you can fulfill this role in a way that pleases God. God has given directives to children, and God has given directions to parents. And together, we can have godly family life. And I want to say that's not just for kids.